You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today to recap the baby seal clubbing that was Georgia's 56-7 victory over the outmanned, outmatched, and outgunned Charleston Southern Buccaneers is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And before we get to that recap, I do want to remind you guys that our podcast is brought to you by Alumni Hall, homes of the hands-down best selection of Georgia gear anywhere. Black Friday is literally just a couple of days away now, guys. So I'm telling you, as you get geared up, to do all your Christmas shopping for all those Georgia fans in your life. And who knows, heck, get some stuff for yourself too. Alumni Hall is the place to go. It is the go-to for anyone who wants Georgia gear. They've got basically every brand that sells Georgia gear. They've got polos. They've got hoodies. They've got sweatshirts, sweatpants, shorts, hats, tailgating gear, car accessories, anything and everything that you could possibly want with a G on it. Trust me, guys, they've got it. I spent enough time in there, I can tell you from experience. And they are going to have some awesome Black Friday deals for you this week, so make sure to be checking them out. If you haven't already signed up for their email notifications, go to their website, alumnihall.com, and do that today. So next time you're in the Classic City, visit them inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center, or if it's easier for you, I know it's convenient, just shop online at alumnihall.com. I also want to quickly remind you guys, for your next trip to Athens, make sure to book your stay at the Normaltown Cottage right in the heart of Athens. Three bedrooms, kitchenette, big screen TV, awesome host to take care of all your needs, free park on a tree-lined street in a gorgeous neighborhood, bars, restaurants, just right down the street, a very short walk away. So whether you're coming to town for a football game, basketball game, graduation, concert, seeing friends, family, reliving the glory days, whatever it is, make sure, again, book your stay at the Normaltown Cottage. But all right, guys, recap time. And look, we all know what just happened. A baby seal got clubbed. A baby seal was always going to get clubbed yesterday, and that's exactly what happened. And there's absolutely no value, as far as we're concerned on this show, in drawing any sort of definitive conclusions about our team based off that game. That would be the height of folly, to be honest with you. I mean, it was 56 to 7. It could have been 120 to nothing if we'd really wanted it to be. 
We could have played five whole games without them cracking 100 yards on our starting defense. I think they had 19 yards of total offense when we started to pull our starters out on defense. So I just always caution people against drawing hardcore definitive conclusions off of games like this. Like, for example, remember way back when, like week one and week two? I know it's forever ago now, but remember when Auburn fans were sky high after beating Akron and Alabama State by a combined score of 122 to 10 the first two weeks of the season? I mean, you were hearing things like, man, like we, we might have some of this Harson guy. Watch out, boys. Yeah, that was five and, and soon to be six losses ago. So we're not going to do that. But we were at the game, and both of us, Curtis and I, we, we made some observations. We saw the same game you guys saw, and uh, we made some observations that I think are worth talking about. So after a game like that, I think the best way to go about their recap episode is just to bring back something that we've done in the past for games like this, and that is very simply things we liked and things we didn't like. It really doesn't get much more simple than that. And for a game like this, I I think that's just the best way to go about it. So Curtis, let's start with the things that we liked. Obviously, when you beat a team 56-7 and you're able to get your starters out essentially after the first quarter, there's obviously a lot more to like than there is not to like. So let's start there. What's at the top of your list of things that you liked coming out of this win over Charleston Southern? I'm just going to start off by talking about I think it was nice to see the run game get going. I know it was Charleston Southern, but we have realistically kind of, we've struggled a little bit the last couple weeks truly getting the run game going, and I thought you were seeing it better today. I think the offensive line was gelling better, and just the running backs in general uh, were seeing their vision and hitting the hole was a lot better. Yeah, I mean, we averaged 7.3 yards per rush. We only ran it 32 times. But we were very, very effective. We were biting off chunks of yardage every single time. Not every single time, but seemingly every single time that we handed the ball off to one of our to one of our uh, many awesome running backs. Uh, that You know, Curtis, I'll start there, kind of piggyback off you. I was going to go Jordan Davis first, but since you mentioned the running game, I'm going to go there as well. I just want to talk about James Cook again. I know we were kind of waxing poetic about James Cook last week. And um, he's only deserved after that performance against Tennessee. Now, obviously, he did not play near as much in this game as he did last against Tennessee. We didn't need him like that. But when James Cook was in the game and James Cook got opportunities to touch the football, James Cook delivered. James Cook made plays. Curtis, is it a stretch to say right now? Like, really, is it a stretch to say that James Cook is the biggest playmaker on this offense right now? No, not at all. Their one play really stood out to me. It was on that very first drive. We throw with that little swing pass to Zeus. It's only like yeah. a two-yard gain because he gets tackled by one of the inside linebackers. Um, and I know this play, to the next play in particular, wasn't by James Cook, but we did it on like a fourth down play. We ran the same play to Kenny McIntosh, who goes and gets the first down. But because in the inside linebacker missed him because he was quicker. And it's just things like that kind of show me that, like, I know that's Kenny McIntosh, but James, James Cook is the same but better in my opinion than Kenny McIntosh so yes he is our biggest playmaker especially in the fact like what he can do out of the backfield in the passing game especially even on those simple swing passes he can outrun people and his vision right now even between the tackles has been just immaculate he's playing lights out right now he's playing at a level that we have never seen him play at in his Georgia career now maybe that is because he's finally getting more opportunities that's certainly be part of it but even when he got opportunities to do some of the things that we're giving opportunities to do right now he wasn't making plays to this degree He's playing with a lot of confidence. 
He's making guys miss in space, which is what he's always been able to do, but he's doing it with more regularity. He's running extraordinarily effectively between the tackles. Most of his big runs came between the tackles in this game. He's able to, to break them out and you know, bite off you know, 20, 40-yard chunks at a time. James Cook right now, in my opinion, is our best playmaker on offense, and I think this guy needs 20 touches a game when it gets like serious, meaningful games. I guess they're all meaningful. But we, when we play Alabama in a couple of weeks, Curtis, James Cook needs to touch the ball 20-plus times. If he doesn't, I'm going to be angry. I know I don't have a say in that, but this guy is making plays almost every single time he touches the football. And I'm glad you mentioned Kenny McIntosh as well. I also have in my list, so I have James Cook on my notes here, and then like a, a sub-bullet point, I have Kenny McIntosh. So I just told you, Curtis, I think James Cook's the biggest playmaker on this offense. Is it a stretch to say that James Cook and Kenny McIntosh are our two best running backs right now? I don't think that is a stretch. Now, almost it's – I think it's brought up in the Tennessee game, and it's kind of true. Zeus is better in the second half when the other team's a little bit more worn down. When they're fresh and they're quick and they're on top of their game, he doesn't break off as many runs. Um, he's Zeus better, is your sledgehammer. He is our yeah, sledgehammer. He's almost like what you saw in Richard Samuel, like – God, you know, God love him. The only thing he was really good at is when the defense is retired, he would just run right over you. That's where yeah. Zeus is really good. He'll hammer you when their legs are getting jelly-like. But realistically, outside that, it is right now, especially in the first half and the first part of the second half, he, James Cook and Kenny McIntosh are our two most explosive and best running backs. And here's the obligatory, I love Zeus. I have to say, I love Zeus, yeah. all right? I'm not trying to kill Zeus. I'm just, and it's not that he's not good. He's really good. He just isn't the kind of playmaker that James Cook and Kenny McIntosh are, especially in space. It doesn't mean that Zeus does not have value. He has a lot of value to our team. Like you mentioned, Kirsch, the sledgehammer. Second half, those guys, they got the, the weak legs, and Zeus well, can Even then, you saw him break off a nice run in the first half. Yeah, he can do that himself. You're right. But the fact is, when the teams are fresh— and they're moving to the ball better, and this, even the defensive line and all those things, and we haven't allowed our offensive line to lean on people, especially in the second half, like when you're playing a tougher team. He, he doesn't, he's not as consistent with his of explosive runs. He can bite off those runs. We've seen him do it many times in his career. He's just not as much of a threat to do it as consistently as guys like James Cook and Kenny McIntosh are. It's as simple as that. He's really good. He's just, he's a different kind of back. He has a different skill set. And I think we use him the correct way. I think we're using McIntosh and, and Cook the, the correct way as well. They complement each other really, really well. And, that, and that's the really good thing here is we have a bunch of really good backs and they all complement each other really well. And we're not even really talking about Kendall Milton right now because he's been out with injury. I hear he's going to be close to getting back soon, but I don't know how he's going to factor in here late in the season with the way James Cook and Kenny McIntosh are playing and what Zeus is able to do late in games, kind of just finishing teams off. But I love Kenny McIntosh. I want the ball in his hands more. I know it's hard to do that. I mean, I keep saying I want James Cook to get all these touches. I want McIntosh to get touches. But the fact is, Curtis, those guys can hit the explosive plays consistently. When they get opportunities, they, they're much more consistent in doing that and buying off those chunk yards than what Zamir White has been. And when you play teams like Alabama down the stretch, if we're fortunate enough to find our way in the college playoff, we don't screw it up here in the next couple of weeks, then we, when you play teams like potentially Ohio State, Curry, you saw what they did in Michigan State last week. I know our defense is great, and they hopefully would not score 50-plus on us, but we're going to have to be able to score, and we're going to have to create explosive plays. And guys like Cook and McIntosh are players that can do that for us. So well, it's, just, it's just like you saw it against Tennessee. Um, one of the kickoffs went to Zeus, and he was nowhere near explosive. And Kenny McIntosh, before he got hurt last year, was one of our best retirement. And I honestly have no clue why he wasn't out there. You saw what they seem to have brought him back for this game to where he was now um, on kick returns. But the fact is, like, they, you need to try to get the, the balls in their hands as often as you can. 
I, I guess maybe since he's dealt with the hamstring injury, and you, you, you kind of have to open up on the kickoff return. You open up your speed there. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But you're right. Kenny McIntosh, I think, is an awesome – I think he's our best kick returner. I, just, I wish we would use him more there. But, yeah, I'm really glad both those guys are on our team. And um, especially James Cook, I think we need to find ways – continue to find ways to get the ball in his hands more and more and more, especially in the first half of games. Then you can still use Zeus. you got to use Zeus. Zeus brings a different element to the game. But I, I, right now, the name of the game for us is we're trying to create explosive plays. And Cook and McIntosh just give us more in that regard right now. It's just that simple. Um, all right. So that was my first one. Kind of piggyback off you. Where are you going next? What's something else that you like in this game? Um, I like seeing some of these young guys that we really hadn't got to see much of, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, right now we're really going to need people like MJ Sherman after the, losing Anderson for the rest of the year. And we haven't really had the opportunity to see him because he caught the flu and so really wasn't ready to go against Tennessee. So it was nice to see especially him out there. And I thought he, he looked the part, and I think he can become a factor that we will potentially need as the season goes on. Yeah, that was a mailback question we got last week, so I want to get your take on that. Do you think, Sherman, are, have you given up on him, or are you confident he can be a guy that's going to be a big player for us next year? I'm not – I haven't given up on him. Um, You know, I wasn't sure, but I know it's Charleston Southern, but he seemed to be fine out there. He seemed to be holding his own. Um, I would like to see him – I think Tech will be a big game because they're – I don't know if they're much better than Charleston Southern, but they are a little bit Did better. Did you see that 55 to nothing? Yeah, that was amazing. I turned that game on to kind of to, to start getting ready for a, obviously previewing the game this week, and I was like, pretty quickly, Jesus Christ, what is going on? It was that was tough to sit through and watch. That was tough. And so that's the thing. I don't know how much you're going to get from, but it's at least a D one opponent, well, especially tougher, if Sins isn't playing. Yeah, yeah, a tougher opponent that's going to give us an ability for him to get some more valuable reps because we're going to need him to do it. Um, I think he's better than Chambliss in the fact that I think he's quicker off the ball so he can bring some more speed off the edge. He's also bigger. He's bigger and stronger right now. And I think he's longer. And which is Yeah, yeah, he is. He, he looks apart more than Chambliss. That, that's yeah. just the reality, yeah. It's a good call. Good call, man. I'll throw another name out there. Some of these young guys, especially on defense, you mentioned defensive line, and I thought were really impressive. Again, Charleston Southern, take it with a grain of salt, all in context. We know that. But still, we haven't seen a ton of these, some of these guys, so it's what we've got to work off of. I thought Warren Brinson played really well, Curtis. I thought he was strong at the point of attack. I thought he was really, really athletic, moving around out there, chasing. I mean, their quarterback was an athletic guy, and he was chasing that guy around the field and changing direction and doing it pretty effortlessly, chasing the quarterback around. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good. Do you think a guy like that can be a factor for us next year on the defensive line? Oh, I think he will be a big one, yeah. Yeah, I'm him, low, those kind of guys. He was getting reps. When Jordan Davis went down, he was getting reps, but I believe he got injured. Yeah, yeah, he was. And he played a little bit, you know, he's played a little bit in the past, but it was nice to get more extensive reps out there, more extended minute snaps on a whole whole nine yards. Uh, but I thought, he, I thought he looked good, and we're losing a ton. We know this. I mean, it, I, I'm sitting here all season long trying to live in the moment and enjoy the now because this is – I mean, this has never happened in, in my years watching Georgia football and, and, and following as closely as we do here on the podcast. It's going to suck to lose all those guys that we're going to lose next year, right? So it's you, on one hand, you want to enjoy it now, but it, you also can kind of look ahead next year like, God, we're going to lose everybody on defense. I mean, the way it looks right now, unless some guys come back and use their COVID year, but to see guys like Warren Brinson come in there and play those snaps the way they did tearing him Dawkins played, you know, he's still got a ways to go. He's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. But seeing guys like that, Zion Logue's played well all season in, in a reserve role. I feel, I mean, again, you don't draw too many conclusions after a game like this, but, you know, seeing guys like that play, Marlon Dean's the guy we saw play. He, he looked really athletic, thinner than I remember him looking when he was an IMG. But it makes you feel a little bit better about what we're going to have on the defense line next year, especially when you have a guy like Jalen Carter anchoring you there. 
for sure. All right, for me, uh, I mentioned at the outset, I'm burying the lead here. He's actually the top of my notes. I got to go Jordan Davis, man. Jordan Davis is just such an easy guy to love. He's my favorite player on this team, has been all year, coming uh, even during the offseason. This is my guy. This is my guy. I love him. He's got an infectious personality. He's such a, a fantastic young man, just a great dude. And not to mention, obviously, an incredible football player. Probably going to be the first team to tackle, taken off the board. And what a great decision he made coming back this year uh, for him, for us, for all parties involved. And to see him come out there, and just a senior day vibes and when he was pumping up the crowd on, uh, when he came out there to, to honor him. And then to see him get the touchdown like that. And I thought it said a lot about Jordan Davis and how our coaches and just the team in general feel about this guy. That number one, we wanted to set up an opportunity for him to get a touchdown on senior day in his last game between the hedges. But on top of that, we gave him two opportunities. Same play, twice. Didn't work out the first time. We said, you know what, screw it. We're going to do it again because we want this guy to have that moment. I think that speaks volumes about Jordan Davis and how the people around him feel about him. So, Curtis, I just, let me ask you, man. I mean, I think it's obvious, but how important has Jordan Davis been to this Georgia program? He's been huge. I mean, especially him. He's not only to what he's done on the field, but he's helped us recruiting because we go out and develop this guy, and he's actually helped you know establish defensive line which forever had been something used against Georgia. And he's finally one of these guys developing is helping our coaches with some credibility and not only that, but just the way he represents the university of Georgia, just yep. stand up guy. You love him. You love his personality. There's just, he's just someone that you love cheering for. And you're just proud that he wears red and black and represents us. Obviously he's a very, very different dude than Nick Chubb was. Obviously Nick is much more introverted, quiet, doesn't want to say a word. And Jordan Davis is, happy-go-lucky, extroverted, life of the party, that kind of guy. So there's certainly different personalities. But I love what you said there. Just an easy guy to root for. And I think him and Nick have that in common. Nick was just such an obvious guy to root for. So easy. Just absolutely loved him from the second he stepped foot on cameras, that first touchdown run against Clemson all those years ago. And Jordan Davis, I feel the same way about him. I mean, this guy is just an incredible ambassador, as you mentioned, for this program. And on top of that, an incredible player, of course. But it's awesome when your best player is such a great dude. You know, like guys that are that talented, don't let it go of their heads. I mean, they easily could. And a lot of a lot of players do. I would I venture to say most of the guys that are that good tend to let that happen. But we've been really fortunate to have a couple of guys over the past couple of years. And then you look at the similarities from 2017 and 2021, right? Where we are right now. When you have guys like that that choose to come back, whether it's Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle, now Jordan Davis choosing to come back. And they have that, and they're that important players. Like they're that good, but they're also those kind of leaders in the locker room, just those kind of dudes, it just sets up for something special. So you see some parallels between those those two years back in 2017 and what we're experiencing right now. But I love Jordan Davis. Um, I hope he knows that. I hope he knows that Dog, Dog Nation appreciates him. I know we, I, we don't speak for the entire Dog Nation, but but I love Jordan. Um, very thankful he's a dog. And you're exactly right, Curse. Every single time they mention on a broadcast that he was a, a former three-star recruit who now he's like getting talk for potential, like maybe a trip to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I mean, he's got the Obviously. touchdown run for the Heisman, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, don't quote me on this, I think one of my friends told me, I haven't been down that way, one of my friends told me, you might have come in 316, Kurt, but um, I heard there's a billboard, a Jordan for Heisman billboard going up in 316 somewhere. I think it might already be up. That's what I was told. I don't know. Don't quote me I on that. I haven't seen it yet, but I would love to. I would love to. Yeah, somebody told me it was it was up. I don't know. I, I can't. I don't know exactly where he says somewhere on 316, but that'd be awesome. Um, but anyway, yeah. So like 
a guy like that, that is just the, the person he is, the player he is. We were very, very fortunate. And um, every time they mention him that he's a former three-star recruit, you're right, Curtis. It's like an infomercial. Like not, not that we need it for recruiting, but it's, it's like a, a 30-second infomercial for us every single time they mention it. And I just kind of light up every time I hear them say it. Because it's like you, the, the old narrative is, well, Kirby can recruit, but he can't develop talent. It's like, yeah, um, no, Kirby's also an incredible well, not that, but it's that a, leader of talent and development. position where we have struggled recruiting for a while. So it's just like it's perfect for that position and everything. Well, we had talked forever, Curtis, about how uh, – not forever, but there was a talking point in the narrative for a while with Trey Scott when he first got here is that he couldn't recruit, right? We weren't landing those big-time guys. And what, what you and I always said was like, well, he has no evidence. He can't show those big-time recruits that, hey, I can put you in the league because he's a young coach. He's kind of getting started in his career. So when you have a guy like Jordan Davis that you can put into the league and it's that kind of publicity, then it's like, oh, wait. Hey, all you recruits, look, we got this guy. He's which I'm a three star, and look at him now. He's like literally a Heisman Trophy candidate on the defensive line. And no one talking about a pass rush. We're talking about a nose guard. So things like that are massive when it comes to us. I'm not gonna say it was a deficiency recruiting along the defensive line, but it wasn't as strong as it needed to be. So that's certainly been a huge benefit for us over the past couple of years. So Jordan Davis for me, gotta love the guy. All right, Kurt, where are you going next? Um, hmm. I actually. The, my, one thing that I really love seeing was the, I want to call it, a, the new personnel scheme of putting Channing Tindall on the outside linebacker. I know maybe it's because Nolan was out, but I love the idea of him in there with our still the two other inside linebackers. Just creates so much speed off the edge. I have that here. It is my fifth bullet point in my notes of things I like. I, I, I'm I'm totally with you here, man. I got to take this off. I mean, but I yeah. read- you as soon as I saw it, we were both like, okay. And you saw it work right away because um, Channing pushes the guy inside, and I think it was either Jalen or Devontae. Someone cleaned it up. But the fact is, like, you have a sure-handed tackler with crazy amounts of speed coming off the edge. Yeah, it, it's it, – and he's such a good blitzer. And he's – like we've always say, shot out of a cannon. So you have that explosive first step there. It's really hard to handle. Of course, he missed Adam Anderson. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah – you know, sayonara, like, we're not going to miss you. Of course you're going to miss Adam Anderson. Like, that hurts depth, and he's a playmaker out there for us. There's a lot of things for us. Did a lot of things for us. The versatility he gave us was really important. But we're fortunate. Again, we have this depth, and we have these three inside linebackers that are all really, really good, and they're all really good rushing the passer as well. I thought it would honestly be Quay Walker. That was I did, too. That's the, actually the one person I expected, but maybe they trust him a little bit more in coverage. Is maybe one Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. I, honestly, you're exactly right, Curtis, because I think Quay, he has more of a background in rushing the passer off the edge, going back to his days in high school at, at Chris, but um, he um, is a guy that I think is much better in coverage than Channing Tindall. Tindall's awesome. I love Channing Tindall. He's a great player for us. He's the weakest of our three inside linebackers in coverage. I think that's pretty clear. So it just makes more sense if him and if there's not much of a gap between him and Quay rushing off the edge – well, you want to keep Quay back there for coverage purposes, and you got Tindall rushing off the edge. And we saw him, and maybe it's, you're right, Chris, maybe it had something to do with, with Nolan being out uh, in this game. But we saw, I saw that quite a bit also in the Tennessee game. So I think this is something that we're going to see as an adjustment to kind of compensate for that loss of Adam Anderson. And you have to believe, Curtis, there's going to be some different things that we're going to be able to do with Chain Tindall, those linebackers on the field that we haven't shown yet because we haven't really had to with some of those games for some of those teams that we're going to be playing down the road. But I love it. I think it's a great move, and I think it's going to give us a little something different off the edge there. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's just racking up sacks, man. He's just producing, making plays. I love it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, all right, I got actually quite a few more here. I'm going to go Brock Bowers. I know he didn't play a ton because we were murdering them, but four catches, 36 yards, two touchdowns, a 19-yard run on the reverse. This guy just continues to impress. I mean, I know that this, the final stat line is not that impressive, four catches, 36 yards. But when we need to play on offense, Curtis, I think this is a guy that you can look for. And we do such an – and I'll, I'll kind of piggyback here. I'm going to go a two-for-one special. I'm going to go Brock Bowers. I'm going to go Todd Monk at the same time. Todd Munkin is doing a really good job, guys. I talked a couple weeks ago about some things I thought we could improve on and some adjustments I would like to see offensively if Stetson was going to be our quarterback. I think we started to do more of those things. But one thing that Todd Munkin is an awesome job at, and I, I think there's, he's got a lot still left up his sleeve here as we head into the final weeks of the, of the season, he does a great job of dialing up and designing constraint plays. And what I mean by constraint plays, these are plays that you run off of your base actions. So let's say if one of your base plays is outside zone, or we were, for us, for example, we were in that little toss, that shotgun toss, right, Kurt? Mm-hmm. Well, constraint plays, what are you going to do off of that to keep the defense honest? So when you run that play over and over again and defenses get, get smart to it, they understand what you're doing and, and they – have it, they're dialed in on it. What are you going to do to take advantage of them being aggressive and trying to take that away? And so we've done a couple things where you know you you run the toss action and then you run a tight end up the seam. You run a or you run four verts off that. Different things. There's also one, and I know it's, it, we're just kind of talking about a game that we were going to win no matter what. But the, I saw some really cool creative constraints. Uh, one of the things that I saw there, we, we one of the plays that we like to run, Curtis, to get the running backs in space is we send the running back in motion, right? And then we kind of just swing it out to him and let him go make a play. Kenny McIntosh, you mentioned earlier, fourth down, uh, made a big play, a first down on that one. Yeah, I don't, did he score on that play, Curtis? I can't remember. I think it was at least a first down. I don't, I don't think he scored on that I one. I think he was pushed out at around the 20. I think that's the drive that led to the Jordan Davis touchdown. If I'm yeah, I think sure. he did score on one of those plays. I don't think it was that one. But yeah. we run that play quite a bit. We've done it with James Cook for years. And one, I thought it was an awesome, it only went for like six or seven yards. One guy basically got in his way. But if we run that again, it's going to, it's going to be there for a big play. And honestly, just showing it again, and again you, you run that in a game like this, because I know some people say, well, why don't you, why don't you like save some of these plays for the bigger opponents? And I get that. There's, there's something to be said for you want to like pull it out and surprise the team. But what it also does is it makes them prep for that. And they got, it slows down their aggressiveness towards that base play. But what I'm t- the plan I'm talking about here is like, you know, we basically send the running back in motion. 
We faked the pass to him, and then we ran like a slip screen to Brock Bowers underneath that. And it was there for a big play. I forget who it was. One dude just kind of got in his way. But look for that again here in the coming weeks. And even if we don't run it again, the fact that we've put it on tape is now going to make that little swing pass the running back more effective because you've got to account for Brock Bowers coming underneath on that slip screen. So just little things like that, these constraint plays that Todd Munkin is designing and running. We talk, we've talked for a year and a half now, Curse, almost two years now, about how he's just dialing things up, guys are running up and down the field, and it continues to be the case. It's been the case all, it was the case all last year. It's been the case this year. We've got to maybe do a little bit more consistent job of hitting those guys sometimes when they're there, but I, I love Todd Munkin. We're very, very fortunate to have him as our offensive coordinator. All right, Kurt, where are you going next, man? Offensive line, I think they did a better job um, in the run fits, which is the one thing that they have kind of, I felt like I've been struggling the most with lately. So I'm definitely going to go with the offensive line. Yeah, anytime you average 7.3 yards per rush, you're doing something right now. I will say, Curtis, that yeah. team was just outmatched. <laughs> I mean, did you oh, see yeah. them were their inside linebacker? But the, the fact is that we just really hadn't been, it's just nice. Sometimes I feel like you need confidence. Like sure. when we went for it on that fourth down, I was actually happy because at that point we were going to, we were close to kicking in the wind with pod who seems to finally getting some confidence and you don't want to do yeah. anything against like some of these teams that can hurt your confidence. And that's what I mean. Like our offensive line, just going out and doing it the right way in a game sometimes can be something huge to build on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, the offensive line I thought played well against the team. They should have played well against but you saw him there. Number 40, their inside linebacker. What did you make of that? Like, honestly, Curtis, I thought, like, if you would have gone back, like, 20 years and gone back to, like, when I was in high school, that was, like, what I looked like out in high school. Like, that was basically me 20 years ago playing against the University of Georgia, the number one team in the country. That's what that was like. It's like, dear God. I mean, he must he must have been, like, 5'9", 175 pounds. And that guy just just wasn't going to hack it, man. I think he was the one that actually got the interception, though, on the tip ball. Um, but man, when I saw him out there, I was like, Jesus Christ, man, we're going to, I mean, obviously we're going to murder them, but this, this might get ugly, ugly. Um, all right. I got a couple here. So here's what we're going to do, man. Uh, are you good with this? If I just kind of run through a couple I got and you kind of just react to them, does that sound good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds all good. All right. So uh, punt returns. What'd you make of Kieris biting off? Again, it's all relative Charleston Southern, but it was nice to see Kieris bite off some big punt returns. what did you make of that? I actually have to be honest. I kind of thought Lad McConkey was better at it. Uh, mm. impressed me more with the punt returns because he has more of that Isaiah McKenzie He's wiggle. The wiggle. And that's the one thing Kiaris struggles with is his wiggle. And I was actually more impressed with what Lad did than what Kiaris did. I am really glad you mentioned that, Curtis. Um, because, look, Kiaris is awesome. Kiaris is a really good punt returner. I mentioned the exact same thing to my wife in the stands. I was like, man, like Kiaris is great. He's he's made some big plays in, in, the, in the punt return game. I think Kiaris is a much better kick returner than he is a punt returner. Because he's got really good straight line speed. Once he gets those long strides, once he gets going, he can he can he can hurt you. But he's not like a super elusive guy in space. He doesn't have that wiggle, and that's more important on punt returns. You got guys flying right at you than it is on kick returns. Kick returns, you need to have the guy that has that straight line speed. And that's what Kier says. I think he's made for that. I'm totally with you. I think Lad McConkey is a better punt returner. I know we trust Kiaris. I and I know we haven't seen a ton from Ta- Lad McConkey in returning punts, but just seeing what we see from him out there, his skill set, knowing what that is, I think he is a better punt return option than Kiaris Jackson. I think he's got the speed, he's got that wiggle, he's got that looseness, that quick twitch that Kiaris doesn't necessarily have. So I would love to see more of him out there, but it's not going to happen because we just trust Kiaris. He's been out there for too long. But I think next year Lad's going to be the guy, and I think we might have a little something there, even more than we've had. Uh, with the punt return game. Um, all right, a couple more here. Dom. Dom Blaylock, Curtis. 
made his season debut. It's been a long time coming. How excited were you to see Dominic Blake get out there and get some action? I'm really glad to see him. He's not the most explosive guy, but the one thing is he runs just amazing routes. Um, and he kind of knows his responsibility. And I feel like sometimes we've been missing that in the slot. Just guys knowing how to read defenses and knowing when to sit. And yeah, just, I, and I, I'm not expecting him to be a huge contributor, but I think he's someone that could come in and make things a little interesting. It's hard to believe, man. Like, can you really believe that he's basically going to be going in? Not basically, he is about to go into his fourth year on campus next year. That's crazy. It sucks, man. We've lost him to injuries like this basically for almost two full seasons. But um, you're right. I don't think he's going to be a major factor down the stretch, but it's nice to have that depth there. Um, he's a guy that has made plays for us in the past. It's just hard to know. He's coming off the two ACLs, and obviously he's been dealing with a hamstring for a while now. But to see him healthy, I'm just happy for him because, um, you know, it's like we think we know what it's like to go through that. And you say, oh, man, that's tough. That sucks for him. But going through two ACLs like that back-to-back, and then when you get healthy, you get the you get the hamstring problem that lingers. I mean, just the mental toughness it takes to go through that, the perseverance. I think that says a lot about Dominic Blaylock, and I, I really hope that he comes – I think he'll come back next year, and I hope that he has a big year next year because this is a guy that deserves it, man. Absolutely. It's really nice to see him out there. And, I, and hey, anything that we get from him the rest of you, I think, is gravy. I'm not expecting it, but – I, I, I the, depth, the, the, the experience depth of him is like a huge thing. Yeah, oh, for sure. Just having that depth there, absolutely. Well, speaking of receivers, Curtis, he did not get in the game. But George Pickens was dressed out, fully dressed out on the sideline. I watched him in warm-ups. He was running routes, doing everything all the other receivers were doing. He looked really good doing it, did not look limited at all. What did you make of that? Do you feel like we're getting closer and closer to George making his season debut? I do. I'm starting to feel like actually, I mean, I'm maybe crazy, but I'm starting to buy into the hype. You know, you and I talked about it at the game. We've actually heard reports that he was giving people like Darion Kendrick an absolute hard time um, in practice. I've, I've been told that he's he's making plays in practice. Which, which wouldn't shock me. It's George we're talking about. And yeah, it's George. That shouldn't surprise anyone. But the fact is, if he's doing that in practice, and right now Darion is our probably our best corner, and the fact is that it makes me excited that if he gets cleared and can go out there, I think he is someone that he may not be the biggest playmaker coming back, especially with everything that's happened. But the fact is, it's something else for them to have to worry about. I mean, there's going to be if okay. First, let me ask you this: Do you think he will be back? Do you think he's going to play this year? I think he will be. I think I it may too. be Tech, and maybe the SEC championship. I mean, it could be the playoffs if we make it. But the fact is, I think we will see number one on the field this year. I, I do too. And look, I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. No one's told me he's going to be back. I've been told that he has been pra- practicing for a while now, actually, longer than people actually realize. And he's making plays out there. Practice, which shouldn't surprise anyone, but he hasn't been fully cleared. That has to happen. Um, and until that happens, he's not going to be out there in a the game, obviously. But I will say this is one more step, right, Curtis? This is one more big step in the right direction. I, I don't want to make too much out of it, but it, it is. At the very least, it's another step in the right direction. Have him fully dressed out on the sidelines in a game, going through warm-ups, looking like the Georgia Bowl. That's what he looked like. I mean, again, it's just warm-ups against air. I get that. But he looked good. Didn't look like he had lost much of a step and didn't look like he was favoring anything, anything like that at all. So I do think that we will see George win. I don't know. I think we'll see him. I don't know. Um, I don't know if we'll see him this week. I, I would like to if, if he gets cleared. It matters. It obviously depends on when he gets cleared. You know, yeah, I, have I, no I told to you that. the perfect plan for George this week. What is that? To go in there, get in Tech's head, maybe start a fight or two in the first half, so he doesn't have to miss the first half of the next game. 
Yeah, maybe maybe that would be the, the perfect plan for him. But I, I'm excited about him. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll probably be back. How much? I know you talked about this a little bit. How much of an impact? Like, let's say George comes back in the SEC Championship game. What version of George do you expect? I mean, it's, it's not it's not going to be 100%, is it? It's not going to be 100%, but I think he's enough to make, go make some big impact plays because the one thing George can do is he has some sure hands. If you throw the ball near him, he's very likely to come down. He may not make some acrobatic catch right now, but the fact is, I think if the ball is near him, he's going to bring it in. So he could be a very good possession, sure-handed receiver, and just some extra depth out there. I mean, it, it couldn't hurt, dude. I think George George is a playmaker. George can make plays. If he gets out there, George is going to make plays for us. And it might, might not be the same version of George we saw at the end of last year when he was playing the best of all his, of his career. But I think George is going to play at some point this year. I know we're running out of time, but I do think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And I think he will make plays for us. And you're right, Chris, you said earlier, just the fact that he's on the field puts pressure on defenses in, in a different way. That's something they have to account for. You can't not account for George Pickens when he's out there on the field. You just got to. So, yeah, I'm excited about that, man. Um, we're getting we're getting healthier there. Uh, last one here real quick. I, I want to mention a guy that just really flashed to me. You mentioned the young guys, Chris. You're talking about guys on the defensive line. What about DJ Daniel? I thought he played really well at safety. Oh, I thought he was coming up and laying the wood. That was for Striking sure. folks, man. He looked good. He's moving really well out there. Closing speed looked really strong. And when he brought the wood when he got there, when he arrived, man, I think DJ – I mean, I know, again, we're losing some guys at safety next year. I think DJ Daniel is going to be a guy that's going to be in the thick of that running for that job, and I think we'll be in pretty good hands. Obviously not the experience, but I love the talent there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, so that's things that we like. Let's transition now to things that we didn't like as much. Obviously, there's not as much meat on this bone because we were playing Charleston Southern. We beat them 56-7. to It could have been 100-0 if we wanted to be. Could have been, basically, we could have named our score. But Curtis, anything there at the top of your head that you're like, man, I just, I know it's Charleston Southern. We won going away, but I just don't feel great about that. What'd you not like? I felt like we weren't in rhythm in the passing game. And that was something I don't like seeing. Yeah. You and I talked about this a little bit during the game. Obviously, look, we won 56 to seven. Things are fine. No big deal. I felt like this was Destin Bennett's worst game of the year. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think it's very fair to say he was just not on stride at all. Yeah, he wasn't on, and that's okay. I mean, we got away with the game like this. I'd rather him get out of the system right now in a game like this. And he wasn't terrible. It's not like he was like bad. He just wasn't sharp. You know what I mean? Like he just wasn't hitting things. I look the the first one. I was really mad at him uh, on that first interception. From where I was sitting, I didn't see it. It was actually tipped at first, and I saw the replay. I was like, oh, it was tipped. So I was kind of like, I was like, God, that sounds freaking terrible, man. And then I saw it was tipped. It's like, okay, well, that's a little bit more understandable. And we have the tip passes hasn't been much of an issue this year, so I hope that doesn't start crop it up again for him but there are a couple other plays where it's like i mean there it didn't show i went back and watched the replay um of the game and it didn't really show on the tv copy 
But Kurt, you know what play I'm talking about where we uh, we went play action. I think it was obviously the first quarter. We only played in the first quarter. And we had brought Bowers up the seam for a touchdown. Yeah, you know I got the seam. And I, I went in during the game, I actually was trying to figure out what happened, who went wrong, because he ended up throwing it to the outside when there was no one there. Well, he, well, he waited too long to throw the ball. If yeah. he threw the ball two clicks earlier, it's a, it's a walk-in touchdown. He was wide open. It didn't really show it like that on the TV copy. So if you're watching at home, you're probably like, what are you talking about? But it, it didn't really show it to you. But trust me, my vantage point sitting there in the stands in, inside Sanford Stadium, I mean, he was wide open from the snap. And Stetson was like staring at him. It was like kind of half pumping. And it was like trying to side, should I throw it? Should I not? And it's like, throw the freaking ball, man. It's a well, freaking touchdown. Then There was another time, play I can't remember where there was a receiver running down the right side of the field and no safety over the top. And he ends up throwing it too far to the ends or to the yeah. sideline. And um, it's incompletion where he had, you know, he could have thrown it more towards the middle of the field because there was no safety over the top and didn't give his guy really a chance. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about there. But, I mean, look, I don't want to knock him too hard. I mean, we were fine. We won the game fine. He played well enough. He played fine. But I do think it was probably his poorest performance. Again, if it happens against Charleston Southern, I'm okay with that. That's not happening next week against Tech. That's not happening in the SEC Championship game against Alabama. But certainly was not his sharpest performance. Um, For me – Go another one here, Curtis. Uh, turnovers. I know. Again, we won fifty six to seven. Three turnovers, Curtis. That's not good enough, is it? No, not at all. That, that can't happen. I mean, I know you get you get away with it against Charleston Southern, but that cannot happen against better teams. I know Stetson's ball was tipped, and all, you know whatever. I thought Beck's interception was not a good not a good decision. wasn't a good throw. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we we only were able to force one turnover. Turnover three times. Kirby's not happy with that. I'm not happy with that. It's just sloppy play. Again, it's fine. It's Charleston Southern. We're going to win no matter what. But, like, it, that's just sloppy. We got to clean that stuff up. Um, Chris Smith being out, Curtis, uh, how much does that concern you? Oh, it's a huge concern. Um, at least not as much for Tech as as much as for Alabama, where you, we kind of really need to get him back. Yeah, the injuries, it's just obviously, like, we have dealt with injuries all year long. You kind of, like, you feel like we're getting to the point where we're getting these guys back healthy and things are looking up on that front. Then Nolan Smith gets hurt. It's like, God. And then Jamari's been out, and now Chris Smith. I'm, and I didn't know anything about it until they called his name for senior day, and he comes limping out there. He's just kind of limping around. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what happened to Chris Smith? And he's on crutches on the sideline. And it seems like Kirby says he's going to be okay. That's but, what Kirby said. That he didn't seem But Kirby's too- also not above a little gamesmanship there either. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I, that, that sucks. I mean, we need Chris Smith desperately. Um, just that we just don't have depth at that position. I mean, I feel good about Dan Jackson. I think Dan Jackson's a really good player. Honestly, I think he moves well. He closes well. He's smart. Coaches trust him. It's not the fact that I don't trust Dan Jackson. It's that we just don't have depth at that position. And if something happens to Dan, God forbid, we are really in trouble. So we need to get Chris back. And Chris, you know, if Brady seems to be in the Kirby's doghouse right now, Kurt. Right. So we were Chris both Smith, guy gets, He just in like constantly in his doghouse yeah right now he's played he's played really really well for us but the Tennessee game he got ripped out and Chris Smith really came in and played that star position played it really well kind of and that was one of the things that helped change that momentum that Tennessee had in that game and so like you know if we're gonna start playing him more there that hurts because we, we, we're playing William Poole for large stretches at that position right now and William Poole's a guy love him you know love the guy sticking around for a long time but he's basically made no contributions to this team in this entire time here and we expect him to go out there and play potentially big minutes against big-time opponents. That's not very confidence-inspiring to me. So, yes, let's get Chris Smith back healthy. Please, dear God, let's just stop with the injuries, man. That is what that is the thing that can derail this team. Just stop. Please, someone, stop this. Help us. All right, finally, Curtis, the last thing um, I didn't like here. Well, first off, anything you got, anything else? I don't want to cut you off there. 
I feel like there wasn't too much to dislike. Yeah, I'm honestly, we're kind of just nitpicking here. Um, I will throw this out there, Curse. I w- I'd love to get your take on this. Maybe we've talked about this in the past. I can't remember, man. We, we do a lot of episodes. One thing I don't like, games like this, man. I don't like games like this. I don't like the baby seal clubbing. What do you think about these buy games where you're paying teams close to a million dollars to come in and play games like this? The only benefit I see is where you see what Alabama's having to go through for their next two games before they play us, where we have a chance to try to get some guys healthy, get some other guys some reps where they haven't really had reps to get in case you need them, like MJ Sherman. Um, but overall, as a fan, it's not the most exciting thing to sit there and watch. Yeah. Yes, and that's that's the perspective I'm coming from because, guys, yeah, I mean, I know we run this podcast. I'm a fan. And, look, I do understand the benefits of it. Curtis, you make a good point there. Like, it's obviously much easier in our team to get your starters out. I mean, our starters are basically out for the first quarter. You can rest them up going into rivalry weekend, hate week against Tech, and SEC championship game. That is that is that is a benefit. That is a good part of playing a, a game like this. It makes sense. I understand that. And also, you allow – you mentioned earlier, Curtis, all these guys that we haven't seen a lot of, you give them a chance to get some real game action – and you help develop your your roster and those guys that are that are not playing a ton. That's beneficial as well. I understand there are benefits, and I will also say this is something that's more abstract. But I do feel it's important that these programs exist. Like Charleston Southern football guys is one of the greatest inventions in the history of the world. Maybe the greatest invention in the history of the world. Football is not just a, an awesome sport that's fun and entertaining to watch, but Football changed my life, guys. All right, if I would not be the person I am today if football was not my life. I'm not saying I'm the greatest person ever. Certainly not. Not at all. But I would not be who I am, and I would not have had whatever success I've had in my life. I would not have had it without football. It taught me so much. It taught me so much. I mean, just toughness, mental toughness, organization, time management, just even little things like that, teamwork, sacrifice, all those things that a lot of kids don't learn elsewhere. Like you just don't learn that stuff if you don't have an opportunity to play a sport like football. So I value these programs existing. I want programs like Charleston Southern to exist. So I understand that those programs are funded largely by playing games like this and and the paychecks that we give them. So I'm very torn by this. I get all of that, those practical aspects of it. And I want football to survive and thrive forever and ever. And I am scared if we don't play games like this, that teams like that, programs like this might not exist. And what does that do long-term to the sport of football? Do fewer young kids grow up playing football because there's not as many opportunities for them to excel and and go get scholarships to colleges? That's something that that I do think about. That weighs on me. But from my perspective as a fan, Curtis, do you ever, ever have any interest watching a game like this? Uh, No. No. And I pay for it. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's me being selfish. We pay for this, okay? And this is what I, I – we get six home games a year. I don't want one of my home games to be this. Like, selfishly, I just don't. I want bigger matchups. And if you want college football to grow, college football has been growing. We've got this 12-team playoff. It seems like it's it's going to be coming. But game like the NFL doesn't have games like this where nobody cares to watch it. Nobody cares to watch it. I mean, even the, the Charleston Southern's parents don't want to watch this. Like, they don't want to watch it. And I think it's better for college football to have bigger matchups. It's better for the paying customer, right, to have those kind of matchups. So and also on some level, it's like, well, we're paying them a million dollars every time we have a game like this. Or it might not be a million dollars, whatever it is. And again, I understand the finances and these programs have to have that kind of money to be able to fund everything. I get all that. But I think there's another way. There's got to be a better way, a different way to fund those programs 
other than us cutting them a million dollar check uh, for a game like this in the regular season when we only get six home games. You know, it, it sucks. So maybe like, here's an idea. Like, I didn't just spitball here. Maybe this is not practical, but like we play these spring games every year and we play these inner, inner, inner squad scrimmages. Why don't we, why don't every team, all these power five teams, why don't you find one of these teams out there every year and you pay them to come play a spring game? If that's what it's about, it's the paycheck. Fine. Let's pay them. I don't mind paying them, pay them to come play a spring game. That's more fun than watching just our guys play each other. And that way those programs survive, they get their money. And then as fans, when we get those 12 precious games, those six precious home games, maybe sometimes seven, but usually for us six with the game in Jacksonville, we actually have good matchups because people complain about the home schedule all the time and games like this certainly do not help. So I just got, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a different way. I just, I don't <clears> like games like this. I'm just gonna be honest. And like, it, it scares me for some of those players too. Like again, that number 40, the inside linebacker, he had no business being on the field from the university of Georgia, no business whatsoever. It's a miracle more than one guy did get taken off on a stretcher from Charleston Southern. It's a miracle more than that did not. Cause it's the size strength disparity there. It's just, it's insane. So, all right, that's my soapbox on this. I know a lot of people probably don't agree with me there, but just had to be set. Just had to be set. But uh, all right, Kurt, anything else for you, man? No, I think you hit it all. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I know this episode was a little bit shorter than we usually have for these recap episodes, but again, it was Charleston Southern. You guys know the drill. You saw how the game went. There's just not that much to dig into, and, and we just aren't going to go drawing any sort of definitive conclusions based off of that game. But there's still a lot to like, and we want to touch on some of those things, and hey, it's always fun talking Georgia football. That's what we're here to do, right? But thank you guys for listening, and I know it's kind of a weird week with Thanksgiving, but I also know that doesn't mean you don't want your Georgia football fix. One of the things I've always hated is when podcasts or radio shows that I enjoy just kind of go dark during the holidays. And I get it. You want to spend time with your family. But hey, I also want to hear my Georgia football content, right? So we're going to let you guys down. We'll be back all week, just like we are every other week during the regular season. The schedule might be a little bit different because Charlie and I, Curtis and I, we're all kind of running around the place doing different things with our families. So things might be slightly different than they have been the other weeks during the regular season. But the content will be there. I promise you guys that I'll be back with the mailbag episode on Tuesday. I don't think Charlie's going to be able to make that right now. It's looking like our schedules aren't going to quite align for that episode. She's got to do some traveling uh, for Thanksgiving. She's got to do some family stuff. But she will be back as of right now. She will be back for our Picks of the Week episode at the end of the week. And, of course, we'll also have our Georgia Tech game preview in the middle of the week. So a ton of great content for you guys. Thanksgiving or not, the Glory UGA podcast does not sleep. So thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate that. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. It's hate week, guys. Embrace the hate. Tech sucks. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>